0: Cast. Game begin. People can be weird in how they collect things. Some collect stamps, others collect watches. Name anything, and you can be sure there's someone somewhere in the world who collects it. The objects of desire can vary from the mainstream, like cans of Coca Cola, through to the strangely exotic, such as manual film cameras from Cold War era USSR. It can be men who collect, or women. Some items, however, do skew towards one gender more than the other. 19th century ceramic thimbles? Mostly women collectors. Pop culture art collectibles? Mostly men. And some of the best creators of these art collectibles are based right here in Singapore. I'm Ken Delbridge, and this is the Crafted By series from the No or Not podcast, featuring the artists and craftspeople of Singapore. Remember Funan the IT mall? It's almost ready to reopen after the old one was torn down and a completely new building put in its place. In the old one, there were a few shops that sold figurines of various sizes, inspired by icons of comic superheroes, anime, manga, and other sections of pop culture. Figurines, statues, models. To group these items under one term, especially when it's the higher end, I like the term art collectibles typically made from vinyl or cold cast porcelain, often licensed from major Hollywood or Japanese studios, and the price can range from well under $100 and ramp up to many thousands. In this episode, we're going to meet three companies that are producing some of the best art collectibles on the market today. And by market, I mean international. These companies ship worldwide and have fans in every corner of the globe. When they release a new item, it's not uncommon to see their websites with a countdown synchronized across the world so everyone knows when they can see the new creation and get their order in before the item sells out. Believe me, these items go very quickly. Welcome to the unreal world of art collectibles. First up, a company whose signature is capturing their creations in dynamic action.
1: I'm Adib. I'm one of the co-founders of Connecticut. I'm also the creative director.
0: Connecticut works mostly with Asian licenses, and they love video games and anime. Typically selling for hundreds of dollars, their figurines and collectibles are modeled in full flow. And the company is best known for its Japanese licensed characters.
1: We started out with Street Fighter uh, as our first license and then we started to get into more fighting games like Street Fighter, like King of Fighters and um, Blaze Blue, Guilty Gear. So we, we have kind of expanded our licenses and IPs and then recently we have also started getting into anime, the Japanese animation licenses. All our products currently are licensed products, mainly originating from Japan.
0: It's an inside joke that pops up occasionally in movies and TV, recently and quite memorably in the biopic of Steve Jobs in 2015. That's the one with Michael Fassbender as Jobs. Jobs' former CEO, John Scully, meets Jobs before he goes on stage to reveal the iMac that would save the company and gives Steve an Apple Newton, mentioning that if he doesn't take it out of the box, one day it will be worth a lot. Something similar applies with collectible figurines. When they stay in the box, the value can go up, My research shows that most buyers are the buy and display types.
1: There are definitely people who will keep it in their box. So some might even buy a statue, not because they like it, but because they know it's going to be popular and will have a higher value down the line. So they will keep it in their box and sell it at the right time to make a good investment back. And then maybe... It will help fund a statue that they will actually like or they do actually like. It really depends on what kind of a collector you are like. I mean, I'm not a heavy collector, like I don't have much space to display, but I will definitely get a statue that I really like. The premium collectibles which I buy will definitely end up on my showcase where I would love to see them displayed because I like the statue. I want to see it or if I want to, you know, it's a source of inspiration for my work that I do. So, most of our target audience, you know, will buy and display it at one point. But of course, there are people who run out of space, sometimes like me, and then put it in a box until you have cleared enough space to display it.
0: Some can solve the conundrum by buying two pieces of the same item one to keep, one to hold and sell when the price is right. But some items can and do double in price, which means the second piece you bought for yourself is basically free.
1: Yeah, definitely, there are definitely people who do that. And especially uh, if it's a highly sought after character or statue, uh, they will do that. But I think most of our, like, uh, Connecticut's fans and customer base are people who really are into it for the love of the character rather than the business aspect of it.
0: For a company like Connecticut's and the other two companies we're gonna meet in this episode, customers can be anywhere in the world and shipping a piece to any country on this planet is straightforward but having its base in Singapore has its advantages
1: singapore i think is a good place for small businesses to start out like as a startup it's, it has it gives you certain benefits which Singapore has been good for. We are not focused solely in locally, we're like kind of a global brand. In fact, most of our customers are from the US and other countries. While we are here, we are based here. And it's also convenient in the sense that our production facilities are in China. I mean everything is made in China, right? From Singapore to access China is quite nearby, right? It's easy to go there, and do the QC work and things like that. There's those there's that locational advantage here. Our business is definitely
0: global.
2: Hi, my name is Jackson, and I'm the founder of Mighty Jax.
0: Mighty Jax is an unusual beast in this art collectible jungle. Some of the items cost under 20 bucks, but they also sell some items that cost many hundreds. Company founder Jackson, a toy collector himself, started the business when he realized how his pieces, which he had by the hundreds, were actually made. One day I was just looking at it and I realised
2: that I don't know how these things are made. And I've watched a lot of the how it's made videos, like make chicken nuggets and stuff, and I was like, that's kind of cool, you know? I I want to learn how it is. And I thought it was like a big giant machine that just sort of spits out like plastic. I was close, but actually there's like hundreds of people hand-painting it and assembling it, so I was like, wow, it's it's incredible, you know? I, I want to do something that is tangible.
0: Once he started his journey from collector to creator, jackson decided to reach out to the artists who created the works that he loved and make something to excuse the pun mighty
2: it's a reflection of things that i collect myself i grew up in the in the 80s uh, 90s and and uh, you know i mean very much into punk rock into concert posters and stuff and all these artists that created these artworks are my idols so i want to work with them to develop these pieces of art but it's really a bridge between like actual toys you've seen from Toys R Us, um, you know, fine art gallery pieces. So I think we are like right smack in between.
0: The decision to make a new item is a balance between creating an item that makes good business sense and designing something that fulfills the Mighty Jacks team's need to make something they'll love.
2: We need our team to be vested emotionally in the piece. So it's beyond what I like now. It's my other key members of the team who thinks that certain thing could work really well presented a certain way. So then um, I think it is time to empower them to make that decision. So I would say maybe like 50% um, to 70% are things that I still follow up on, but uh, I can't be a one-man show and take care of everything. So we we have our team members and their their own idea of um, what works well. The truth is, a lot of designs, right, they they are aesthetically different. The the structure, integrity of it, the paintwork that's needed. So while we will have some technical restrictions that we can do, we lean more towards the fact that would it be as impressive a piece that we're able to, you know, execute it. So that's why, you know, for my team, we will all come together to make sure that we are able to present it in the best way possible and, and not just throwing something out like that.
0: The biggest hurdle for any company in this business when they want to make an item that features an existing intellectual property, be it Marvel, DC, Capcom, or any of the other creators of these characters, is getting the license. Because in addition to having a new item approved by the licensor, it's also a bucket load of money up front.
2: When we first started out, it was really hard for us to sign with a licensor because either you gotta have a large sum of minimum guarantee or it has to be a special unique collectible that you know people believe in you and for us it's it's the latter, right? And when we started reaching out to, let's say, Warner Brothers for their DC licenses, it took a while, you know, before we can actually get the go ahead to present it as our vision is. But we did it because they believe in us and we are forever grateful for that because the door opens like, you know, when you're talking about different ballgame anymore. It's not like... 200, 300 pieces of a limited collection, right, we're talking about tens of thousands of pieces. To be honest, I don't think we ever made a profit of it yet. I, I, I'm not particularly sure because <laughs> it's just a different ball game, but we enjoy doing it. And at this point in time, we actually have licenses coming to us to let us interpret their characters
0: in such a style. One character that has featured multiple times in the Mighty Jacks repertoire is DC's Batman. As a character, Bruce Wayne has no superpower other than his insane wealth, so there's a human element that is very different from, say, Superman, who is literally an alien from another planet. Batman's humanity and the way the character has been portrayed across the many different incarnations has created an enduring love for the Cape Crusader that has lasted decades.
2: I think at different stage of your life, right, you're exposed to Batman in a different manner. Like whether is it when we were kids, like you have your nostalgic black and white pieces, the animation, then because it's done so well, licensing the products in like merchandisers, like whether is it toys or lifestyle products, it's just a, a continuity of, um, you know, the animation is an extension. So like every point of my life, I've touched on Batman in, certain representation of him and even though i don't know what he does i'll still know that that's batman i think that it's what you grow up with culturally and singapore just happens to be a place that we are able to um be exposed to such culture and growing up it's just become nostalgic nostalgia because you got money now and you just want to buy like a giant batman statue because you can and that's what i think it is
0: One artist relationship that has proven particularly fruitful for Mighty Jacks has been with a New York-based artist, Jason Freeney, who has produced many pieces for Mighty Jacks that have been both an artistic and commercial success.
2: He's like famous for doing dissection of characters like your classic characters let's say hello kitty or batman what what do they look like inside what is the anatomy that makes them this and for me it was like it it is still mind-blowing and because when you look at cartoon characters right they did the external form first but how do they realistically look like on the inside It's, it's just crazy and we wanted to work with him on that project so we did we we created an original piece of his which is not dissection related Because a lot of his work relies on licensed characters, so we can't like bootleg them. So that's why we have to get our license first and, you know, take a gamble on it. So we merge the two styles together and create it.
0: Like all ambitious company founders, Jackson has big plans for Mighty Jax. And it's much more than simply selling more toys to collectors.
2: Right now, we may have our foundation coming from the toy side of things, and it's still very much a core business for us. But we are actually moving into uh, developing cultural IPs, which are things that, I you know, you've got your music, you've got your dance, you've got your uh, other kind of subcultures. And and if you notice recently, right, like in the last couple of years, they are all uh, converging at some point. like a musical guest will cross over with an apparel brand or they'll cross over with shoes, etc. So I think that we are positioned to be in the centre of all subcultures and we power them by developing new content. Uh, it could be 2D, it could be 3D, and then going on to different town merchandises, like not just toys. So we present our artwork as a full collection. So I think that we will start focusing more into developing this cultural IPs with partners like Jason Freeney.
0: For the record, I have the Jason Frini-designed 4D Double X-Ray Joker at my studio. And before you ask, nah, it's not for sale. Not at any price. Well, never say never, but it'd have to be bonkers money before we'd say goodbye to our friend with a smile. Our last company was actually the first company that I interviewed. When Art Collectibles was first mooted as a possible episode theme, I asked collector friends for recommendations on who to talk to. And one brand came up multiple times. XM Studios. This is a company that makes no bones about the detail and attention it pays to its creations, and of the three companies, XM Studios collectibles are the most expensive. As of this week, the Batman Shogun piece, a one quarter scale piece of Batman as a samurai on his horse, carries a price tag of $1,999, and it's not even the most expensive piece they've ever released. It's no exaggeration to say that limited edition creations from XM Studios are classified as handcrafted luxury art collectibles. So my name is Brian Tan.
3: I'm one of the founders and directors of XM Studios, a company based in Singapore. What we do is we specialize in making luxury handcrafted co-cast porcelain statues. Uh, Usually they're based on uh, popular pop culture characters uh, from the Marvel Universe or DC Transformers. We've been around for the past four years. If you're into high-end collectibles, uh, you should definitely check us out.
0: With a background in the advertising industry, Brian became friends with two artists working out of the Brass complex who were doing amazing paintwork. With the complementary skills, Brian, Ben and Singh decided to grow the business, and XM Studios was born. The first big decision was to make a licensed item.
3: We spoke to a few licensors and, and I think we got lucky. The first year was tough. I think nobody would have to work with us. It was like, oh, you guys are new. But then I think we got lucky about third year. We got lucky with Disney, uh, who just recently purchased Marvel then. And they said, well, let's give it a go. I mean, nobody's um, doing in Singapore. So we'll be happy to support you guys. From there onwards, the rest is kind of history. We started making stuff. Social media started to post about the stuff making and people started to buy. And, and then from there, we, we acquired the DC license and the Transformers license. And it just all went uh, cool from there
0: so by now I think you're probably wondering how it works when a new item is conceived at XM Studios when Brian explained it to me it immediately vaporized what I thought would have been the time to market is actually a very detailed process one that XM Studios has trimmed out to be as fast as possible by working with artists they fully trust but the time frame is not weeks it's not even months
3: let's break it down in terms of the processes right the usual product development cycle consists of the initial uh, what we call the design phase which is all on paper and and and, um, conceptual phase so that requires typically at least one to two different artists that comes up with uh, concept artwork and line art we basically kind of come up with most of the concepts ourselves um, Typically, it's like halfway through the showers or using the, the bathroom. We're kind of like, okay, Eureka, this should be the post of the mighty Thor. And then we will strike the post, we'll take a selfie, and then we will tell the artist, this is an example of a post that we think will work. And the concept, he has to stand on the base of something that tells a story. This will in- involve usually four to five people that comes together and brainstorm our concept and get it on paper. And we're talking about, you know, a few days worth of discussions and drafts and, and storyboarding. So once that is done, then it goes to the digital sculpting department or the traditional sculptor. Usually uh, it's task to one sculptor because you know you have two different people working on one project. It might look a bit weird. We tend to appoint a sculptor that we feel has a, a specific style. And once that's done, then the 3D digital sculpt is sent to a 3D print company, which is based in Hong Kong for us. And they then print it out. And I think they probably use about two guys to do it. One guy is to make sure that the artwork and the files are very suitable for physical printout. And then from there, someone will do all the, the cleaning of the 3D print material itself that then gets sent to the um, the factory for a initial engineering the engineering department will consist of about two to three people where they would kind of slice the uh, statues into different pieces and do the weighing the weighing of the different parts also the stability in terms of how it stands whether it will lean over time which parts need to be reinforced with holes inside and also which material needs to be made in different materials so that it doesn't break as easily so that engineering part takes about two to three guys and then finally depending on the amount of producing if you're producing 100 pieces, generally, I think depending on the factory, they might assign anything from 20 to 100 people to get the products out. It depends on how soon you need it out, how complex the product is. So if it's talking about end-to-end, we're talking easily at least 50 people involved in making one product. It's usually not seen that way. Most people don't imagine it to be really, oh, this is probably three guys making it and painting it. But actually, there is a a lot of people and the process takes quite long. It typically takes about at least 12 months. from to end, to even see a first piece that, that gets shipped to a customer. I think that's the fastest any company right now can probably do.
0: When you see the XM Studios collectibles, one thing that catches your eye immediately is the level of detail in each piece. The work by the artist is intense. For example, think of a Wonder Woman collectible.
3: Normally, that is a digital sculpt, so they do it in ZBrush and in 3D, so the size doesn't really matter because the file itself uh, can be scaled up to be printed in either 1 to 1 or 1 to 6 or 1 to 4, so the size in a digital concept doesn't come into play. It's about how much details they want to cram into the, the sculpt itself. Now, in terms of the way they do it, I think some sculptors, they really have a really good grasp of, say, the anatomy and, and the way to sculpt, so they don't really need a live model, whereas some Traditional sculptors or some uh, different sculptors prefer to have uh, photos, images of say a female fitness model doing a specific pose so they can reference the, the muscles of it as well. And again, this depends on the style because if we're doing something comics, certain comic bodies are just not realistic. You, you just can't find it from any real world human. So depending on the, the sculpt itself, uh, some, some people will just reference comics original art and try to be as close to the artist's work as possible. Uh, But in certain cases, in most cases, even in XM, at any one time I can see our sculptors are always having three screens in front of them. One will be from a comic book where they look at the proportion of a superhero, which is kind of weird. It's like uh, the height of a superhero is basically nine heads just take the, the height of the head from the chin to the top of the head that should be nine, nine of it in terms of the height that, so it, you, you don't really find that in, in, in real world probably only the Victoria's Secrets and, and you know the 1% lucky population you'll find that but, but yes so they have that as a comic kind of reference and then they have uh, photos of bodybuilders fitness models who all in different poses will show the different ways the muscles are stretching and and, and moving. And then from there, they take reference on how to, 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 to sculpt as well. So there's a lot of referencing. And, and in sometimes they even say, if they find it like a really nice uh, statue that's been made before, they buy that statue and they put it in front of them and they, they reference from it as well. So uh, different artists have, or different sculptors have different ways, but I think in general, they all would use some sort of reference to base their work on.
0: Buyers of these handcrafted luxury art collectibles have spent a lot to acquire their pieces, so it makes sense to take care when displaying these items. You don't hide art away, it should be on display to be enjoyed both by the owner and friends who visit.
3: I guess it could be subjective, but for me, the proper way to display an art piece is kind of, you can take reference from museums, right? They put it in a glass shelf where it protects it from dust uh, because the problem with dust is that it doesn't really hurt the the statues. It says that um, when you try to clean the dust, Typically, that's where accidents happen. So, what you want to do is put it behind a nice glass casing where your kids or, you know, uh, nosy people don't start touching and have proper lighting and it should be a decor. It should help to kind of bring life to, to uh, your room, uh, your man cave or even your living room it should help to kind of uh, make you feel happy whenever you walk in and you see it you know it's like a painting or something like that right you, you hang it on the wall you want to be able to appreciate it and it should bring you some emotional joy so the best way to, is place it somewhere you get to see it often because that's the value of paying the amount for that but the thing is no harsh kind of a warm hot light on it because you don't want to shine something hot and risk things happening to it right basically just just have a typical nice clean shelf design in a way don't try the Overcrowd it with a lot of things and make it look like it's it's a it's a it's a storage, make it look like it's it's an art piece you are buying and, and you have a mini museum in your own house, your own corner. That would be the best way to display items like that.
0: As one of the leading collectibles makers in Singapore, Brian has flown the flag at major conventions such as the New York Comic-Con. It's always
3: nerve-wracking for us to go overseas because we're homeboys and we we don't get out much, right? So we're geeks as well. So when we go overseas, we we have to talk and interact with people. I think one of the, the funniest thing or the most common thing, the response we get from collectors overseas is an unexpected welcome and knowledge of us. They will say, wow, you guys are here and, and, and it's so nice to meet the, the people behind it. You know, the people who are actually making, making all this stuff and not just the sales guy who's selling it in the store, but the actual people working on it. And sometimes we go to we bring along our artists who then sign on their, their statues or art prints. So to them, it's like for people who, who are really into the statues, to them, they're really happy we're there. And then, then they, they bring us out for food. They tell us where to go. We hang out as friends. It's, it's kind of like it it doesn't feel like we're there as a business. We are there like, you know, as, as people in the same hobby and we are sharing our love for the passion and we, we hang out and we have a beer, we have pizza. So it becomes, it's like usually as geeks, we don't make a lot of friends, but then now we're suddenly more popular. We get to make friends easier. Uh, typically, um, if it's very far away, like if it's in New York Comic Con, sometimes people do ask, where is Singapore? Is it part of China or something like that? And, and then, then we we'll tell them, no, actually it's not, but it's a really small place. We're not surprised you haven't heard about it. And then we share about our local food and culture. So there are usually very little topics about the exact statues itself. It's more about the culture, the people, how we get things done. Uh, so it becomes a very kind of a fun thing to do. It doesn't feel like you're working. It feels like you just go traveling and making uh, friends.
0: If you dive into the whole art collectible scene, either from the collector side or the creator side, it's easy to become fully immersed and obsessed. There's something addictive about collecting anything, and art collectibles speak to a part of our hearts where nostalgia and escapism meet. What is it about buying and owning these sculptures that are so enjoyable? I'm reminded of pious Chong Fa Chong. We met him in episode three of this crafted by series. I believe his theory hits the nail on the head. I like the origin of the word real. It comes from the Latin word res, R-E-S, which means a thing. So the realisation of anything is to make a thing out of it. To me anyway, I've always maintained that, uh, as far as art is concerned, a painting, no matter how wonderfully and realistically it may have been painted, is still an illusion. It is still not real, whereas a sculpture, in the round in three-dimensional form and shape is real that you have to contend with it to live with a sculpture you must give it space. Instead of a 2D representation on the page of a comic book or a cinema screen art collectibles are a real representation of the characters we've grown to love and we can observe them from endless angles. If you already are a collector or thinking about starting I hope you'll allow me the indulgence of one piece of advice. Make sure you let your best friend know how much the items in your collection are worth because should you meet an early demise, make sure that they step in and see that your collection is sold for what they are worth and not what you told your partner you paid for them. We always discount that number by half or more. Thanks for listening to this episode of our Crafted By series from the Know or Not podcast. It was written and recorded and mixed by me, Ken Delbridge. If you liked our podcast, please do subscribe at Apple Podcasts wherever you're listening to this episode. And if you want, give us a review as it helps other people find our podcast. We're going to be taking a short break of a week, maybe two weeks, as we prep up our final episodes. We're going to look at the music scene in Singapore. It's proven to be a way bigger task than I expected, and from a single episode, it's grown to several. If you like music, I think you'll find it very interesting. To learn more about our podcast, please visit knowandot.com. That's kNOwornot.com.